Well, it's a good day. I'm so thrilled to be here with you. And, uh, you know, I just uh, laugh um, as we kind of deal with different technology things. Uh, you know, so, sometimes life happens. Uh, I'm, I just want to take the moment to appreciate uh, our worship leaders and our, our tech folks. Let's just give them a round of applause. Um, and, and, you know, like in those moments, Martha, like that's, that's leadership. Uh, and Joel, I'm so grateful for you. Uh, I was swaying all through all that tech stuff. I was just still in the in the moment. So, uh, y'all y'all let us well. And today's a good day. Uh, this is a special day for me in the flow of the year. Just kind of like to peel back the curtain a little bit. I love Easter Sunday. I really do. But I love this Sunday maybe as much or more. Uh, and, and it's a little bit hard to describe. But we kind of think of this as Easter Part Two. And we see who's going to show up for the story after the big, you know, the big Sunday with all the, you know, the things. And, and if somebody who's not here or is watching online, we love you. You know, uh, that's not what I'm saying. It's just that the story doesn't end. This is part of the, the like, the, the great part of this. The story doesn't end after we just go through the, the big Easter celebration. In fact, the church understood every Sunday uh, as sort of a reenactment of the Easter story. Like the, we, we come into resurrection reality and remind ourselves, remember that every week, every Sunday is a little Easter. Uh, that's the way, by the way, I don't know if, the, if some of you gave up something for Lent. There's like the controversy, uh, like if you give that up, but on Easter Sunday, do you, I mean, it's sort of like a little Easter. So you kind of don't have to give up the chocolate on Sunday. I don't know if you knew that. Some of you are like, I wish you had told me weeks ago, right? So anyway, that's the, something to think about for next year. Uh, and really in the flow of the church year, Easter is a season, not just a Sunday. So uh, we kind of live into that in a different way. Uh, next week, we're going to start a new series about what it means to be a community of hope called City on a Hill. And uh, actually get to some of our practical and strategic direction as a church as we look into a vision of uh, how scripture gives us uh, a sense of hope lived out in a community. Uh, but today we're just going to pick up the story on Easter Sunday. The scripture that we heard on the road to Emmaus is an Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday event. Uh, of all the places to find Jesus having risen from the tomb, we find him on a, on a stroll outside of Jerusalem with two disciples. Uh, and what it allows us to do is to pick up on the theme of Easter Sunday, which we talked about last Sunday, which has everything to do with hope. We said uh, the, the Christian community that we're gonna see this playing out uh, from those very first moments is going to figure out what it means to look at the world through the lens of hope. When it will always be tempted to look at the world through a lens of fear, and we still, we still do this, uh, and we, um, and, and we, you know, you can get a lot done with fear, but we struggle not to, 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 to let fear motivate us. And when it will be tempted to look at the world and be angry at it, look at the news and be like, Rawr! and maybe discouraged or give up, but instead to continue to renew our, our hope. And that hope being then lived out in actual people is the hope of the world. And so we just come pick that right up 
uh, as we come back today. You know, uh, the, doing Easter a couple Sundays actually allows you to do something else, which is use the material. I have a lot of material over the years, and Easter Sunday, there's a very short amount of time, so I've got some stories. And one of my favorite Easter story, resurrection stories, uh, had happened here uh, several, maybe 10 years ago. And uh, w- the kids were upstairs on a Wednesday night. It wasn't even kid zone. There wasn't programming. There wasn't a lesson. They were, uh, they were basically childcare, I think. And um, so one, the kids were in a circle, and one of the kids, my six or seven-year-old, was was telling the story of Jesus to the others in a circle. And, and you know, like maybe there's a calling there. She had them like they, she had their attention, and she was telling the story of Jesus's life. And then he died on a cross, and the kids were like, "Ooh, ah, ah!" And then as they leaned in, she said, "And then on the third day he rose again." And one of the other kids said, "No way." It was like, I, I never have gotten that kind of response in a sermon. She like literally has something figured out. Um, no way. When I, what I like about that story is that it helps get at the surprise of Easter, the shock of it. And it pushes against the idea that Jesus walks out of the tomb and goes, ta-da, and everybody knew, and boom, all, all, everything was different. That's not the way the story unfolds for them or for us. So it's easy to talk about hope. It's easy and maybe kind of high in the sky to point to hope. But what we see in the resurrection appearances of of Jesus in the story of the walk to Emmaus, we see that hope that becomes actually real as it plays out in people who didn't immediately have it all clear, who did, it, it wasn't, it wasn't immediately evident what, uh, what this meant. And I think that is a lot like us. When we talk about hope, as we see it in this story, we're going to see, I think, how hope unfolds for all of us, how it becomes real for all of us. And, you know, every week I think about what, so, the so what of a sermon. And, um, and this week, especially as I kept asking, so what, as we walk away today, so what? What I hope you will walk away with, what we'll walk away with, what I've kind of gained as I've wrestled with the scripture again, is that that hope uh, that we're talking about is real and that it can be lived out in very practical ways as we see it lived out in Jesus offering that hope on the road to Emmaus. Two things. This is a two-point sermon. We couldn't handle three points today. It's Sunday after Easter. It's gloomy outside. But hopefully you'll remember two today. Uh, With that, let's pray together. God, we're so thankful for this community of resurrection that has continued to come around the story of Jesus for 115 years and for this story played out in the church for the last 2,000 years across the world in various places and various circumstances and history. And we pray that in these moments that you would renew our hope in the personal situations of our lives, and in our hope for this world, as that hope comes alive in us and then comes alive through us, we pray that we would be a city on a hill as we experience the light of the world. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the village of Emmaus is about seven miles from Jerusalem. So there is a, a, a stroll back after Passover. Two people are walking. It may be that they are they just going back home. It's kind of hard to know. But clearly they're talking about the stories of what has happened in Passover, not just the normal 
course of events, but in the life and then the death of Jesus. While they're wrapped up in the story, a stranger comes up. It's Jesus himself. And one of the kind of the, the, the key points in kind of grasping this story is the question, uh, why didn't they know it was Jesus? But the scripture says they were kept from recognizing him. And it's, it's like, why, why is that? And, um, and I'm going to suggest a couple things. They were kept from recognizing him. As we think about it, that is a big statement. What Luke is describing is two people who can't see Jesus right in front of them. It's something maybe more universal, how we always uh, struggle to see things as they are. We struggle to see God at work in the world. We struggle to see through the, the circumstances and the loss and the grief and the challenge. They just didn't recognize him. And we get discouraged so quickly. We get discouraged too quickly. Maybe you don't, I think, but I think you probably do. I saw a video, you know, like these little short gifs or whatever recently. I tried to find it and I couldn't refind it. So I'm just going to describe it to you as a, a golfer and he was making a putt and as he made the putt, the ball went right up to the cup and like it should have just like went over and then it didn't. It just stopped. And he got upset and he threw the club down and then he stomped it and bent it. And, and then he held it up. And then as just like everything froze, the ball went bloop, right into the cup. And I felt like I'm that guy so often. Like I just freak out too quickly. And sometimes if I'm honest, it's the little things. I, we said, Jenny and I said this about our kids, especially my, my oldest Luke, who, uh, who, is, who is me. And you know, like when I would say things about my son, Jenny would say, oh yeah, hmm. That'd be tough to live with, wouldn't it? You know, like that kind of stuff. Uh, and, and, and Luke can handle like you know, big stuff and then gets tripped up on the little things. Like he had like major ear surgery that and, and required him to stop his swimming of, and, and had two surgeries, in fact. And he said, how long is this going to take? What's the recovery? He went to the weight room the next day. And I mean, it was just like he had a plan. Uh, and then like for me, and, and he's like this, like, I can handle the big stuff, but then if somebody cuts me off in traffic, I just lose my mind, right? Or if I can't figure out the password, and then I have to send the email and remember, right? Maybe you can relate. Uh, big stuff, little stuff, discouragement, uh, clouds our vision. How much of your vision is clouded by discouragement? looking at the state of the world, looking at the state of the thing, looking at the, the obstacle, looking at the challenge. Uh, it, it, we're just kept from rec recognizing Jesus. I don't think it's any coincidence that J John's gospel introduces Jesus as the light of the world. And this is the thing about light. It's not the thing that we see. Uh, light is the thing that helps us see. Light's not the thing we see. It's the, it's the thing that helps us see everything else. Uh, and so John says, in him was life and that life was the light of the world. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it or understood it, doesn't recognize it. And we use that scripture sometimes on Christmas, uh, Christmas Eve, we light our candle and we talk about hope. But isn't that scripture just as much about the darkness of Saturday, Friday, Saturday of, of, of the resurrection story and then coming into Sunday and wondering how in the world could there be a light in this darkness? And that's, yeah, uh, what, what we're, what we're uh, the exact thing we're talking about. 
Uh, you saw on our uh, video, if you were, uh, if you came to the 9.30 service uh, this morning, uh, the opening video, the 9.45 service, you missed that, but uh, 9.30 service, uh, we uh, showed a little recap video of our Easter celebration and Maundy Thursday, Holy Thursday. Uh, I just sort of going to do a little announcement ahead of time uh, for next year is the way we reenact the events of the last moments of Jesus's life. We walk through those events. And I've done this for years. Uh, for us here at Broadway, that has become more and more of a powerful thing. And this year for me, I don't know, maybe it was just me. I'll tell you a little bit more about that uh, in a bit. It's just really powerful. At the end of that story, that, that service, we, um, we do a song. It's called, I Believe. The choir sings it over us. Uh, and it says this, I believe um, in love when I can't feel it. I believe in the sun when it's not shining. And I believe in God even when he's silent. And so what we're talking about uh, when we talk about hope is in that context, uh, when, when it will feel like there's darkness and yet we're trying to see the light. Jesus walks up beside them, asks them, what are you discussing together as you walk along on the road? And, you know, here again, Jesus doesn't come out of the tomb and say, ta-da, it's me. Um, and he doesn't in this moment walk up alongside them and go, hey, guys, it's me. They're kept from recognizing them and him. And so what they, he does uh, is maybe surprising. He doesn't break through yet. He, he accommodates them. He walks along with them. He doesn't give answers yet. He asks questions. And there's grace in this, bringing us along, bringing them along. He allows them to process. And uh, as they process, they tell him the story about himself. In fact, they say, Aren't, are you like the only visitor to Jerusalem and not know the things that we're talking about, about? And he says, what things? He says, about, they say about Jesus of Nazareth and how our chief priests handed him over to to be crucified, and to be sentenced to death. And as they're talking and as they're processing in this scripture, in this story, we, we hear them get to the thing that is the thing for them. In verse 21, they say, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Do you notice the, this, this theme of hope? They're talking about hope in the past tense. And how many of us, you know, can relate to that? We talk about hope as a thing that, that we once had, something that we did. And their loss of hope functions at many levels, as it does for us, personal, spiritual, relational, communal, failed hopes of a whole people, their friend is dead, their God has failed them. Yet even here in their loss of hope, we see the most important part of recovering that hope the renewal of a hope, how it always happens as Jesus walks alongside them. So the first thing, the two-point sermon, remember there's two points. The first is this, that hope is, in, in, in this story, is personal. And, and I say that because I think sometimes when we talk about loss of hope and discouragement, we go intellectual. Like we've got to get this conceptually figured out. And it never works that way. How hope is restored, it is restored personally. And the good news of the gospel is that the God that we have is the kind of God who comes alongside us, who walks along with us, 
who is, in fact, personal. This is the story from Genesis all the way to the maps, and we find it at key points along the way. This is a God with us story. This is an Emmanuel uh, God with us story, not just at the manger, but also on the road to Emmaus. And at points in between, Martha mentioned uh, in worship that Mary Magdalene is, her eyes are open. She doesn't recognize Jesus, but she does when Jesus calls her name. After this story at Emmaus, uh, we're going to find Jesus in the room with the, the disciples. And he comes into the room with them. And um, you've got doubting Thomas. And Jesus is like, come up close. Feel the wounds. Again, accommodating Thomas's doubt. This is an up-close and personal God bringing up-close and personal hope. This is a, a story of Jesus who walks with us, who is with us. And I've heard this processed and talked about this and listened to people describe their story of it as they work through their discouragement, grief, loss, stuff, junk. This, this is the thing that begins to change the equation for them, the recognition that they are not alone in that thing, that this is a story of Christ alongside them. It's at least point one of the sermon. We'll get to point two. But without this, none of the rest of it makes sense. This is God walking alongside each of us. This is Christ who walks with me. A few years ago, I would say maybe th three years ago, kind of in the, in the, the pa pandemic, early pandemic, for a lot of us, it was a hard time. And we had, uh, and I try not to talk about this all, all the time, but three of my friends, three of my staff members died in the year and a half leading up to that. And, uh, and it was not a fun time. And I, I just, uh, you know, was, was, was struggling with, with all of that, uh, loss and discouragement. And I came across this song. Uh, the title of it is, I Want Jesus to Walk With Me. It's a spiritual. And the lyrics are, start that, I want Jesus to walk with me along my pilgrim journey in my trials, Lord. When my heart is almost breaking, I want Jesus to walk with me. And so in my prayer time for about three months, I put that song on repeat. I would just hit it over and over and over and over again. I wanted that to be my prayer, and I wanted that truth to sink into my bones. And maybe you can relate to that experience. Even when I couldn't see that it was him, I wanted to trust that Jesus would walk with me. So after that kind of very personal experience, you know, I get to, you know, make some decisions around here. So we we're planning our Monday, Thursday service for last year. And I said, can we start with that? Can like that be our communal prayer? Can we let that sink into all of our bones? That is what we want. We want Jesus to walk with us. And so we start our service that way. And what is not good about that, I should have thought this through, is like it completely wrecked me. But the, the, like the very first song completely wrecked me and then I've got to get up and talk and make words and that kind of thing. We want Jesus to walk with us. That's our heart, heart's cry when we have lost hope. And until we know that Jesus is walking alongside us, we're not going to see him. Uh, but this is a story of a God who has done just that. And so here on the road, Jesus is living into that pattern of all the places to be on Easter Sunday. He's walking alongside some folks on the way to, to, to renew their hope. And as they come to the end of the, the, the journey to the village, uh, he acts like he's going to walk on. And they say, hey, you come walk with us and stay with us. And, and then he sits at the table with them, 
So just to kind of put an exclamation point, this is a story of revelation at a table of all the places to find God and for God to be revealed. It happens at the table, face to face, up close and personal in the ordinary of life. And then he, he, he does the thing that we talk about in communion, breaks the bread, blesses it, gives it to them, and their eyes are open and they recognize him. This is God up close and personal. But th- that's point one. Point two in the sermon is this, that hope also happens then and in the kind of God that comes up close and personal. And so hope happens, uh, it, 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 it's personal, but it's also, it happens in powerlessness. It's, it's just so that the two words would start with P. Uh, and if it alliterates, you know it's from God. This is a story of a God who, who finds power in powerlessness. We've talked about what a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. But that is not the kind of power of God flexing his muscles. This is not a shock and awe God. This is a God who has decided to love whatever it costs. So not only is God there, but God is there in a certain way. Jesus is, is here in a, in a certain way with us. He's going to love us and serve us whatever the cost. The paradox of our faith is that God is revealed most fully in the broken body of Jesus. That this is a story of a God who doesn't climb the ladder but descends to the cross. Jesus explains this on the Emmaus Road. He says to them, did not the Messiah have to suffer and then enter his glory? I don't know if you caught that when we, when we read the scripture he explains to them, didn't you know that this is the way this has to go? This is, the, this is the pattern. This is where hope is. And it, it doesn't look like, it doesn't maybe look like hope. Not in a demonstration of power, but in a dramatic demonstration of powerlessness. And then beginning with Moses and the prophets, it says he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning him. Well, they had, a, they had seven miles to walk. I wonder what scriptures they talked about. In fact, I've never asked that question before, before this time coming to, this, to, this, to the scripture. I wonder what scriptures he talked to them about, beginning with Moses. You know, it would have been the Old Testament because they didn't have the New Testament yet. So what scriptures was, were, were, it, were it, were they? Uh, and um, perhaps there were maybe four, some from the prophets, as it said, and maybe from Isaiah. There are four or five groupings of scripture there that we call the suffering servant songs. And originally we think they were probably about Israel as a whole and their role in the world. But since Jesus, we've also seen these words through him. Maybe on the road to Emmaus, Jesus quoted to them Isaiah 42. These words, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I belong. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. This part especially, he will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teachings, the islands will put there to the ends of the world, hope. They were kept from recognizing him. I wonder if the other reason, not just because of their grief and discouragement, but, but, but maybe the other reason is because hope never looks like we think it will. And we always want it to come in a demonstration of power and God is determined to love and, and sacrifice and suffer. 
And that's the kind of love that changes things. God is completely committed to us and completely committed to loving us and to paying a cost for that. And anybody who has ever tried to love knows a little bit about this. Anybody who's tried to parent knows that there's there's a cost that you just keep saying yes to. Anybody who's ever tried to stay married knows that there's a cost and there's a yes that you keep struggling to say yes to. Anybody who's ever tried to do their business in a way that makes a contribution rather than just taking from the world knows that there's a cost that you just keep having to say yes to. And the thing that we see in Jesus is that that Jesus keeps saying yes and will never say no to that cost. And that's what makes Jesus who he is. That's, in in a sense, it's just that simple. He's going to love and you can't make him not. And that hope set loose in the world is real hope. When it's up close and personal and has, has, has no dog in the fight, but only to suffer, to only to sacrifice, to do whatever it takes, to love at whatever cost. And when the church does that, in the name of Jesus, the world changes. So in the next few weeks, we're going to talk about that. As we talk about resurrection hope, we're going to talk about what it means to be a church that is a light of the world. And I want to invite you back to that next Sunday as we uh, live into that and as we are invited into that story. So as we come to communion today, our prayer is that we would find ourselves just like those at, at Emmaus on the, on the road who then sit down with Jesus. And as we break the bread today, that our eyes would be opened and that we would recognize him in the uh, circumstances and situations of our lives and of our world, and that we would find ourselves with the same experience of those on the road, saying, were not our hearts burning within us? A sense of the, the awe, the, the wonder of this. He's, he's, he's right there. And, and that he's enough and that we have every reason for hope. We're not our hearts burning with a, in us as we walked on this road, and he walked it with us. I'll invite Pastor Joe to come as we prepare for communion today. We remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples. And then he lived into that pattern. He did it on the road to Emmaus, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup, again gave thanks, gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this, all of you. This is the cup of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so we do, as we live into this story, as we are invited into this suffering love that gets up and close and personal, uh, bringing hope to our world. It happens in us and then happens through us. And that is the invitation today. As those who are coming to serve uh, come forward, let me extend that invitation to all of us uh, in, in Christ. And so we believe you don't have to be a member of our church uh, to come, but you are more than welcome. And we consider this an open table uh, for you to come. And you'll go out the right side of your section and then um, return to the left. So you come out this way. And um, you'll take the bread and essentially hold out your hands and the bread will be placed into your hands. And then you'll take it and dip it into the cup and then receive it. Uh, And there will be some folks here at the front also to pray with you if you want to pray about something and 
uh, that will have oil to anoint you with oil and the sign of the cross on your forehead as a a symbol of God's healing or a symbol of God's claim uh, of hope on something in your life. And so we will uh, anoint you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and in resurrection hope uh, today as you come. Uh, Finally, we have gluten-free elements. If you need those, they'll they'll be here in the front, and you can come and get those as you come. As we prepare to receive, let's pray together. God, we're so thankful for these moments of grace and of hope. And I pray that hope would seep down into every crack, every crevice, every part of our lives, every question mark over us, every fear, every frustration, every discouragement. Would you walk alongside us today, we pray, and may you be revealed to us as we break bread with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.